Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. I'm Jack and as always, I'm joined by Ale. On this podcast, we show the humans behind the whistle through the eyes of referees past and present, as well as the broader footballing world. We're excited to be back. Ale and I had a break after what we had with Euro 2020. Hopefully you managed to tune into one of those via our Facebook and the other socials where we analysed games, clips, incidents. It was really exciting, but geez, was it full on. And we've taken a little bit of time off from my life on the line to rest and recharge our batteries. But we're back and we're excited to be back. Very excited, Jack. And what a start, what a comeback. Today's guest is Adriano Del Monte. He is a football journalist and broadcaster. He has worked with leading organisations such as ESPN, Optus Sport, The Guardian and the Italian Gazzetta dello Sport. In the podcast, we discuss refereeing at Euro 2020, the differences between leagues across Europe and the world from a refereeing perspective, and finally, we touch on some aspects of the laws of the game and refereeing that frustrate Adriano, and we discuss what could be a couple of solutions to those. Here's today's show. I recommend a on-field review. Stop it, stop it, stop it! Adriano, thanks for joining us. It is great to have you all the way from Germany today. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you guys. And Germany now getting back to my home in Italy soon, but looking forward to, to catching up and chatting some interesting topics. Very lucky to have you here tonight, Adriano. We're looking forward to discussing a whole heap of topics uh, around football, around refereeing, and obviously getting your insight into European football. You're very, very lucky to cover some of the, the best football in the world. Ale and I are both very, very jealous of what you get to do day yeah. to day. That's for sure. And how happy, happy are we about Italy this morning? <laughs> yeah. Five games in a row, I'm beating. 35 in a row unbeaten, but probably not in the fashion we would have liked to have done it because now a little bit of pressure given the fact that they couldn't defeat Bulgaria just with regards to qualifying for the World Cup. But 35 unbeaten equaling an all-time record in international football is that's remarkable. We'll Even take special. that. That's it. I saw your coverage of the Euros and, uh, well, Jack probably is not happy to bring this memory back <laughs> but uh our beloved italy winning beating england in the final it was also special <laughs> yeah oh so special wasn't it so let's start from there there's been a lot of talk and from what we've seen a lot of positive talk about refereeing at the euros how did you experience that As an observer inside the stadium, I was very lucky to attend 14 matches at the Euros. So I was basically at a match every second day and different referees, different teams, different nations. I really felt that refereeing was not a factor in at the Euros, which is always a good thing. If you're not talking about refereeing, if you're not talking about their impact on the match, I think more or less they've, they've done a very good job. And I was very impressed particularly as we got into the latter stages of the competition. Of course, again, we're still in the early days of these high-profile tournaments with VAR as well. And overall, I thought the consistency in the management from a refereeing perspective was very impressive. And, and as such, I don't think there were too many issues in the tournament. Obviously, there were a couple of games I was at where perhaps there were some specific moments which were debated But overall, from my, I suppose, my professional perspective, I think it was a, a near perfect and, and very consistent job. And the consistency, I think, is something I'll refer to a number of times because that's certainly what I look for professionally to understand the game, to understand the position of the refereeing. And I felt that was certainly near perfect at the European Championships. We love to hear that. A glowing, right? a glowing review. <laughs> Going into the Euros, did you have any sort of exposure, any preparation, any intro on what to expect from a refereeing point of view? We, as, as broadcasters, we were provided, as, as we are before most tournaments in general, we were provided any amendments or updates to laws, rules, regulations, interpretations, and things like that. So... 
outside of that, no, it was more a case of it. It's been a very busy couple of seasons, to be fair, to, to the federations, the organisations. And as such, there hasn't been, I feel, in this period, again, from a professional standpoint, there hasn't been a, as much preparation put in place uh, for everything. I mean, we've gone from a, a COVID-interrupted season straight into a new COVID-interrupted season, straight into a European Championships. It's been two years of football non-stop, and these last couple of months that I've had have really been the first time to unwind, which has been nice. But with exception to, to the, the standard just ensuring we're up to date with the, the latest interpretations, particularly with VAR and any minor rule amendments, there wasn't much else that could be done. But but again, I felt that I felt the difference with the European Championships to perhaps what I had experienced in the season prior was that it was just the European Championships. Whereas in the season prior where I work in the club game, I'm working covering Serie A, I'm working covering Champions League, I've got an eye across all the other competitions as well. And and perhaps still at that level, there are still a lot of differences, minor differences, but in the ways that certain leagues interpret certain rules, certain leagues implement VAR, certain leagues don't implement certain things. So I think with the Euros being one competition, a group of referees that were, I guess, educated to to officiate in a certain way, it was a very easy uh, tournament, I guess, to, to, to oversee as a professional broadcaster. That's good. That's positive. Um, you mm. touched on... On VAR, I'd like to dig into that a little bit further. So you talked about it in a positive light. Who doesn't like to do that? Yeah, but but, (laughs) Ajani, you talked about it in a positive light, which we haven't really heard a positive, much positive press about it over the last couple of years, and myself included. I've been, Mm. you know, a fair critic of it at times, even as as a referee who uses it. Um, What made it more positive this time around for you? Yeah, I, I'm certainly in that boat as well. I've certainly been critical of VAR at times, just to be very transparent. But I feel the difference here, look, VAR is is here to stay for now. I'm very well aware that there is a lot more significant complex technology not too far away. But at the present time, we're here with VAR. It's not going anywhere. They haven't implemented it to remove it. And what I felt was... was I guess was a, was a, was a relief in a capacity here was that it played its role at the European Championships. It, I, I felt certainly in the, in certain leagues it has been overused. It has been overworked. It's over analytical. It's taken time away from matches. I felt its its implementation was very effective, at least from the games that I covered. Of course, covering all the games that I did, I was unable to physically watch every other game. But from the games that I had covered, at least uh, of which many were were the quarters, the semis, and the final, uh, I was I was pleased with the way that it was utilised. And again, I, I feel that that comes down to the fact, as I said a few moments ago, that it was one group of officials, one tournament. Everyone knew what they had to do, and and it wasn't, you know, on a Sunday we're playing in the Premier League, and then on a Wednesday we're in the Champions yeah. League, and the interpretations are completely different. And that's certainly what I've experienced in previous seasons. So I was overall pleased with, with that. I, I think the, the, the element of VAR that I certainly don't enjoy as a as a broadcaster, but also as a fan of this sport, is is the time. Yeah, of and course. When some of those decisions take minutes and it just takes the momentum and the energy, the enthusiasm away from the game, that's certainly, aside from whether you agree with the, the eventual decision or not, that's the element which which I don't like so much. And I feel that in the Euros, that didn't really have a, have a significant impact on, on, any, on any match. And, and as such, I, I think it flowed. I also think now fans are a lot more used to VAR, whether they love it or not. And I think mm-hmm. they're a lot more used to it coming in and, okay, a brief 30-second, one-minute pause here. But it's when it is a three-, four-minute pause. And for me, again, just from my perspective, I think if you're – looking at something for three, four minutes, and it's been that long, then you just go in favour of, well, I would just give it to the decision that was made on, on the pitch. But there's still debate after that decision is made because they're trying to, to perfect, uh, I guess, the decision that's made. But at the Euros, I felt it was free-flowing. I felt it played its part. Do I love VAR? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, I've never been a, a lover of it. Do I appreciate its position in the game? how far it's come at this point, I think it has made great improvements in recent time. Yeah, and I think that's the key point, Adriana, is that 
it's made massive improvements, right? And and yeah. the Euros seem to be the first time where it was really successful. So it's been how long have we had at LA? Four years, five years, more, globally, I think. more. So 2017, 2016, yeah. 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 So it's been five, six years of learning, and it feels like the Euros is the first time the refs have really got it right as a group. And of course it yeah. is the best referees in the world in that group. There's no doubt about it. But it's almost like the five, six years has led up to this. And if this is the new benchmark, then it's going to be, you know, I'm optimistic for the future of VAR, whereas obviously there's been a bit of controversy over over the time leading up to this, that's for sure. For sure. Yeah. I loved what you said, Adriano, that VAR played its part, played its role in the Euros. It's interesting, right, because as referees, we always look at VAR and we try to define it in different ways. We, we've said it a couple of times, VAR, it's a safety net for referees, giving mm-hmm. us a second chance to make a mistake and potentially fixing it when we get it wrong. Uh, so I'm kind of interested, you know, off the back of the conversation, what, in your opinion, is the role of VAR in football? Because, you know, I think about football pre-VAR and what happened, what would have happened was there was maybe a punch, a red card that was mistaken for a yellow and not even seen, an offside completely missed, no VAR, so the day after or the same night and covering Italy, you would know how it works, how we work. Uh, after that decision is made incorrectly, there's so much talk about it and everyone I remember used to say, well, if we can see it on the television, why aren't the refereeing going and doing that? So, you know, thinking about what the world was pre-VAR to what it is now, how do you feel, what do you feel the right role is for VAR as a non-referee? Well, certainly when the VAR came in, I felt that the role, I, I felt that it was important to, to integrate a form of technology in the game. I, there have obviously been some famous moments with simple goal line technology would have solved. Yeah. And obviously that is something which you need one second and you have the answer there. Clearly things off the ball that maybe the, the, the sideline official doesn't see or the fourth official doesn't see that they are would capture. I love that element. Clear offsides that are missed. I love that element. I don't know if anyone had, I don't know if a fan had legitimately envisaged that VAR would be ruling an offside down to the finest millimetre and think that we would actually have come this far. But I think that the role that the VAR plays now, given the fact we are four, five, six years into its implementation, is just to be that additional guide and that additional comfort for the official to make sure that we're getting as many decisions right as possible. I, I feel that one, and and I, you go. I would be curious to know from from a, an officiating perspective how this works. From my perspective, I do feel that sometimes referees maybe don't make a decision because they know that they can just go back and review the VAR, and that is for me as an observer perhaps eliminating the referee's decision making out of the game. I know that some. I know, and this varies in leagues. But linesmen will not raise their flag if they think that it's offside. They'll let the play play out, but then they know that they can go back and check it. So even if they thought it was offside, and the play then scores. But then I think, but what happens if then there is an injury or there is something that happens after the play that other in a, in another case the referee wouldn't have called? I think the, the area I'm a little unclear on at the moment is. When the VAR is utilised to be reviewed, a decision to be reviewed, and there is that uncertainty in some cases I mentioned before, there is three or four minutes discussion, deliberation over, well, what decision do we make? Where is the line drawn with regards to going with perhaps, as they do in some other sports, the benefit of the doubt or the decision that, like, in it, I'm a big NBA fan, and often it's, if they're unclear, it's, the, the referee's call. They just go with the, the referee's call if they can't decide either way. So there is still that onus on the referee to make a decision, a bold decision that they stick with and not just rely solely on what the video says because the video is not always clear. So I think it's it's been implemented well given how difficult it is, but I still do have some areas personally where I'm a little unclear but that wasn't the case for me in the Euros. And that's what I like the most about the Euros. So bringing it back to there. That's really good. And I think just sort of hold that thought bubble around that. 
uncleanness because mm. I'd love to get to that later in the in the pod and explore a few other things around that space. I think it'd be really, really interesting. But something you touched on. So many things springing and coming oh, in my yeah. mind. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> something you touched on, Adriano, really briefly was about, and I'd love to explore a bit more, is, is the differences between the leagues. So obviously you cover you cover the Euros, you cover Serie A, Serie A, mm-hmm. um, you cover the Champions League. Yeah, you've noticed these differences. What are they? What impact do they have? How does it affect the game? Yeah, yeah. This is always really interesting because even pre VAR and Ali, I'm sure you know as well. Serie A rules are different rules (laughs) to rules in in the Premier League. They're different rules to La Liga, just from what you see. In in La Liga especially, I know now more than ever, fans are starting to become fed up. And Spain is worse than Italy. I feel Italy used to be like this, but referees just blow the whistle every 15, 20 seconds and fans are, there there is a touch and it's a foul. In England, that's absolutely not the case. And I, I guess the, the as a result of that, the interpretation of, well, what constitutes a foul in the build-up to a goal that then is chalked off because there was a foul. But a foul in Italy is sometimes different from my perspective to a foul in England. Yeah. Some of the challenges in the Premier League, that would be a yellow card in Italy, let alone play on in England. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> it's just, I guess, <laughs> for sure. So it's, it's, it's those interpretations which are nothing new. There, there are, look, uh, obviously I have read a bit, not covering the Premier League in as much depth as Serie A and the Champions League this season, but uh, obviously there have been some amendments to some rules and interpretations in, in England, as an example, this season. It's just, it's just overall what I have found is working primarily on the Champions League. When clubs come into Champions League football, where it's a different competition but they all play together, I've heard many times that, a team from Spain, a team from Germany, a team from England will react differently to a decision made because, well, on a Sunday in our league, it's a little more lenient this way. Or perhaps the referee would have stopped the play this way. And I think it's just, I don't know if it's anything specific or more so just the interpretation of what they're used to, which may just be a cultural thing in any case, may just be a historic thing in football in any case, as I said, in terms of physicality of a competition or whatnot. But I think overall, I don't know, asking you guys, do, is the same VAR technology utilised across the same top competitions? Are the same, I know there've been, there's been a lot of debate about the offside situation. Is it the exact same interpretation with, with offsides and VAR in England as it is in Italy, as it is in Spain? Is the same technology used whereby they can measure to the same frame it, I don't. I don't know these things. I'm just observing it as a, as a broadcaster, as a fan. But I've certainly sensed that frustration amongst different coaches, different players from different countries when they come to the continental competition. Ale, you can probably answer that best for the for the European base. But I've definitely got some insight, uh, which will be different to the European stuff from what we do in Australia. Mm. Yeah, it's quite interesting, right? Because. I think you mentioned it. It's very cultural, but just to give you an overview, like the the laws, the laws of the game are the same everywhere. And for VR, there's one protocol and the technology, it's all the same. What changes is the humans applying those rules, those laws. And uh, when you talk about the differences between England and Italy, I think it's quite interesting how you could connect it to the different styles of play. In England, when you look at the Premier League, it's very fast, it's very physical, it's very fast-paced. But tactical, if you want a tactical league, you go to Italy where there's a lot more tactic. Uh, and those are some of the differences where with a lot more tactics, there's not such as much, um, as much physicality. So really, you know, the technology is always the same. The decisions are the same. The t- interpretations and the guidelines they all, that's where probably things start trickling down the system because you would have FIFA that have and the IFAB, which is the body that uh, creates the laws and says, these are the laws. And then each um, continental body like UEFA, Cognable, CONCACAF, AFC, they all have their interpretations, uh, which is interesting, right? Because we always talk, and Jack, you know, with simulation, in the AFC, there must be no contact at all. 
UEFA still allows some contact in simulation. So if a player initiates the contact, it can still be a simulation. So again, already there, you know, Asia and, and Europe, there's different interpretations. And that gets even worse when you go to different countries. So England has a, a history of very physical football. Uh, that's how they grew up, how the, the, the Premier League was built, you know, over a hundred years of history of really physical football. So that's what football is in England. Whilst in Italy, it's different. In Germany, it's different. In La Liga, it's different. And that's where I think referees, it's, you know, how you grow up within your own country. I know when I moved, when I refereed in Italy, I had a certain style. And when I moved to Australia, which is a, it's a bit closer to the English style because obviously there's a big English influence. Mm. I really had to adapt because the things that I would have not allowed in a fifth division in Italy, I wouldn't have been able to get away with it here. So really comes down, I think, to culture interpretations. All the players thought, who is this crazy flamboyant Italian with all this big, large body language? Get out of my uh, Jack, <laughs> that was you on the first game we had together. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, but interestingly, I think you, you talk about the technology and the European top leagues very much use the best of the best because they have the money, they have the resources. But in Australia with the A-League, it's a little bit different. So um, we actually had last season, the number of cameras we had on the game was severely cut and that was a financial decision. Um, And obviously that has an impact on VAR because if you have less cameras, you have less angles, which means your chance of having a clear, clear vision of the incident is lowered. And especially for offside, um, there were some incidents where the camera angle just wasn't good enough to make a decision. So the on-field decision was supported regardless, not saying it was wrong. It could have been right. Sure. It could have been wrong, but they just couldn't tell. So I think much in those elite football nations and America is very much in that too. The technology is always the same, but you'll see this more as VR moves around the world. Those sort of second tier footballing countries like us in Australia will mm-hmm. won't have the best of the best. And sure, sure, technology might develop and change to help that, but ultimately it comes down to money in, in that situation. Yeah, of course. The The element with the with the offside, which I've always been, uh, I guess, intrigued by, is the fact that for as good as the technology is, those ones which are a, a hairline away from being on or off, a, oh, a hair rather than a hairline, but the, the, the <laughs> fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, is that the the technology, can it be, this isn't on the refereeing, this is just purely on the technology. Can the technology be so precise that it knows the exact second, the exact millisecond that that, that ball leaves the foot of yeah. the, the, the player providing the assist to the player who's in the goal scoring position? I've always I've always battled with with comprehending that, and we see examples like that pop up too frequently. Obviously, the nature of what well, let's be fair, the quality of some of these players who are able to play off that last defender to to the perfect line, but it's just it, it seems I don't know how how. How is that taken from an officiating perspective? Obviously, if, if you see it and the technology says it's off, it's off, you make the call. That's a correct call from, from your end. But can it? do you feel from a, from a refereeing perspective that that is absolutely 100% categorically spot on? Because the technology surely has some margin for error in there, which just it cannot pick up. Yeah, so what I didn't like about, and still it's changed a little bit now with the Euros with those thicker mm. lines, because you used to have yeah. the benefit of the doubt would go to the attacker, right? Because we don't want to yeah. be, I don't know about you, but for me as a fan, forget refereeing, I don't want a goal ruled out for a millimetre. Like if your shoulder is no. offside by a millimetre, come on, nobody wants that, right? It has to be, I'm not saying it has to be a foot or anything, but it has to be clearly off, not off by a, by a hairline to use your yeah. words. Correct, correct, correct. Right, correct. Yeah, absolutely. No, but that, that's the thing, exactly. And and how how advantageous is that? Obviously, the line has to be drawn somewhere, but that's why I'm also in favour of the fact of having the thicker lines and at least it provides that little bit of extra support for, for all involved, I think. And and we've seen, you know, we've even now earlier on in the season, we've seen some, some decisions made with 
that, that have gone against certain teams with parts of the body that you can't score with offside. They're in the air and they're they're offside. Uh, like, how does that how how does that work? Yes, technically offside, but what I don't know. For me, I've always felt that the feet. I, I felt that if it was marked at the feet, I think that would be. I mean, if my if my body is hanging over the line, but my feet are behind the defenders, I feel that I've got equally the, the same sort of advantage as opposed to if we were if we were directly in line on behind. What, how is that interpreted from your end? Are you are you guys like happy with the current interpretation, the current ruling of, of offside? The current interpretation, low elements, is uh, you judge an offside when the foot impacts the ball for the first time. Uh, when it's kicked from the teammate that from the, the player that makes the pass, and offside is judged based on all the parts of the body that a player can use to play the ball. So hands and arms up to the bottom of the armpit, they're not yeah. considered for offside. So if your arm is in front of the offside line, that's not offside because you can't sure. play the ball with your arms. That's the current interpretation. Now offside, long time ago, there used to be different interpretation as to there is light in between players there was a lot of wiggle room for that i'm talking about a while back before probably jack and i even started refereeing uh, and that changed because that really left too many question marks because is the light between the legs is the light between the body the top of the body what if it's all those sort of questions were very complicated that's why the offset rule sort of changed and went no nah, it's gotta be Everything, every part of the body that you can play the ball with must be behind every part of the body of the defender uh, that, that the defender can use to play the ball. So that those are the two indications. I think personally, you know, I think it's good because it's very black and white when you make a decision. It's like, well, you can, can you play the, the ball with that part of your body? Are you behind the, the second last defender? Yes, no, very easy. Uh, I can totally see the frustration, like both you and Jack as well have said about, you know, I, if I'm one millimeter offside, I don't want that goal to be ruled, ruled off. And I agree because that's not really football. Uh, you know, we're not playing with paint or Photoshop and just putting stuff together to be pixel perfect. Like, screw that. That's not football. That's not fun for anyone. And I think the interpretation is good. It's just obviously having that extra technology uh, but I think it's also having that extra scrutiny that have played a big part. So it's all come from a massive request from the global footballing world. We need to integrate more technology to make sure we don't make big mistakes. Now there is a lot of pressure on, well, we don't want the, mi the micro decisions to be affected by this technology. What if VAR was used just for clear offsides when it's very close, you support the decision on the field? From your perspective as a supporter as a, and, and as also as a journalist, how do you see the understanding and the, the will of the footballing community affecting these sort of decisions? It's it's, you know, it's it's very interesting everything you raise because obviously it does have an impact. If there is more pressure on getting the offside decisions right or getting the penalty calls right, then there'll be more. It's just inevitable there'll be more focus from 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 the officials to make sure that they get them right. I I do like the recent amendments to offsides. We touched on thicker lines. Uh, I think also most importantly from the fan perspective. There is more understanding now. Obviously, when this started, it was very it was very different. It was very different to accept and then take on. But I think now there is a lot more understanding. I think it's still very frustrating when you do miss out on a goal via a couple of millimetres. But I think there is a better balance in terms of um, the, the understanding and acceptance of how it is. And you're right, if, if this part of the body is is offside and that's part, that can score, you can score with that, it's clear cut, it's black or white, whether you like it or not, that's the rule. So I think with the with the greater education for fans and, and broadcasters, journalists and people to understand, I think, the, I think the messaging going out now is better. I think the media around it now is a lot better than it was, say, 24 months ago. Yeah. I think it was all that was being discussed. It was unbelievable. But I think now there is that acceptance, and that's certainly a good thing. I briefly touched on it earlier, but I do know that there is the next level of technology that's sort of underway, that's the next step up from VAR that will iron all of that out in any case. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's inevitable because the sport is already going in that direction, and 
exactly what leagues and what competitions and, and where, where that plays its role will obviously be at the pointy end to start. But if it does then make its way through to, to all levels of football, I think it will certainly be a discussion of the past. But at the present time, where things are at, I, I think that the balance between the reliance on the VAR and, again, as I touched on, I would just like to see, and you guys have suggested that it is the case, but officials making, still having to make those decisions. And if they are still making those decisions and then you review the VAR and it's still a little uncertain for whatever reason, whether offside or not, or another or another review in any case, at least we've got a very bold and confident decision made by an official that in the worst case, we can just go with the call on the pitch. And so as a, for me as a fan or as a, or as a broadcaster in the, in the industry, that's what I'm looking for. But again, to be complimentary and positive, that's certainly what I felt a lot more consistently in the last season and particularly in the Euros. Yeah, for sure. But I, th- I think what you said there sort of just leads nicely into where I'd like to get to next, which is sort of talking about a bit more of those, I guess, myths, what don't you understand mm. uh, around refereeing as, as someone in the media. And I think probably a good place to start is, is the one you've obviously already mentioned, which is about um, do referees, are they now more hesitant to make a decision because of VAR? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to know. I'd love to know. So obviously I can't speak for referees across mm-hmm. the world. I've done one alien game, so <laughs> I can't really speak speak too broadly but for me i'd always rather get the decision right without var okay so if i this is impossible but i would love to go through every game without having to use var obviously we know that's not going to happen because we're humans we're not going to see some in we'll see something wrong we're going to make mistakes and hopefully if i make a mistake then var can can get me out of the situation and we can end up yeah. fixing the decision but i I and other referees will always, always, always want to get the decision right without VAR. Um, I can just, you know, I had not nightmares, but just just worries in my head uh, before my first A-League game of how was I going to react if I if the VAR comes in the ear and goes, Jack, I'm recommending a review. Because if that happens, it means they think you've got a decision wrong. And, and trust me, there's, there's nothing worse. You want to, we're humans, we're referees, we want to be right. So we, um, of course, it's changed for assistance where they have to delay their flag for offside now because that's just the rules as as we've touched on. But now for referees, um, we're always still wanting to make the decision on field because we want to get it right ourselves. We don't want to get it wrong and then get it right. Now I'm a referee coach, so I know that when I go and watch referees, how do I have to judge them? How do I have to to mark them? If a referee gets a decision wrong and VR comes in, that decision is still going to go wrong in the list of decisions that the referee made in their game. VAR is going to get a tick. The referee will get a tick for changing a decision if they do correctly, but still their original decision is going to be wrong. So that, that it's not a way to punish referees, but it's a way to, to coach referees and say, okay, well, you got a decision wrong. How could you make, how, how can you improve in order to make it right the next time? For a referee not to make a decision, it's probably the worst decision you could make. On the field, players feel that. Your team feel that. If you are holding back because you're scared of making a decision, that's really going to impact your management as well, which is a big, big part of officiating in general. Yeah, for sure. Just in terms of maintaining maintaining control over the game, having the respect of the 22 players in the park, that this is my game. Yeah, absolutely understand that. I'd, I'd rather make a decision and own that decision and be a hundred percent in sure. my decision and then go have, go ha- and have to have a look at it and go, sorry, boys, I got it wrong. You know, I can just hold my hands up. In, yeah. I'd much rather do that than go, uh, ooh, right. uh I'm not, I'm I've not, done that I'm so many sure. times. <laughs> but that, that's just, that's just me personally, me personally. I'd rather, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, you live yeah, and buy, yeah. live and die by your decisions. You make a mistake. You make a mistake. Is there any other things that over the years you still can't get your head around when a referee makes a decision or something happens and you're like, why? <laughs> I'm sure I've said that, but no, nothing. Look, again, to be honest, as I said in the Euros, I think the fact that the, the referees did their job weren't a major talking point, weren't in the making the headlines and just, 
quietly going about their business, I think the job was effectively done as a result. And that's certainly what I'm looking for from officials, to officiate the game, but not to to overmanage a game. And again, it does differ in, in certain leagues. They're a bit more whistle-happy. They're a bit softer on the ball. Challenges are a bit softer. Where we know that. But in general, when I'm watching a game of football, that's what I'm after from a referee. And and to be fair, yes, there are the, the, the odd controversial moment or two that, that does pop up, that does result in that debate until all hours of the morning. But overall, I think I certainly feel from at least the competitions I cover in any case, uh, officiating is at a, a very consistently high level at the moment. What about oh, – that's positive. I wasn't expecting that response, but this, that's, <laughs> that's certainly positive. But I guess a little bit – of a different angle. So not so much the referees themselves, but is there anything mm. you would want to change if you could? Is there anything around where you go, oh, this shouldn't be a yellow card or time wasting needs to be dealt mm. with more stringently or is there anything along those <laughs> yeah. lines? Yeah, look, uh, probably two in, in, in response to that. I think something needs to be done with, with stoppage time. Mm-hmm. I don't know in what regard exactly, but st- look, we know that time wasting and whatnot is part of the game. I think there could be, and I don't know if it's exactly a, from an official perspective, they can physically do anything or if it's a bit of rules amendment, rules amending with officials. But I don't know, stoppage time, I feel, is, is a time where a lot of time is lost. Yeah. And is it really replicated? Like, is it really replaced on the other end? Probably not. Sometimes there's five-minute stoppage time. They might play six or seven, but there is a lot of time within that five which is completely wasted. So I guess generically that's a bit rules and officials that that could be touched on. I think from a yellow card perspective, one rule which I've never understood why it is still a rule is why when a player takes their shirt off, they get carded. (laughs) (laughs) This is one. I know it's not important at all, but, I mean... That's a good question. That's a good question. That's a great question. question. I've never understood this because then players are risk themselves getting banned in a later game as a result of the the the, the, the passion enthusiasm the passion to score a ninety third minute winner yeah and then that costs them down the track to be suspended uh, uh, when when we see some challenges in the in the heart of midfield in the early minutes of the game some crunching challenges that aren't carded yeah but then Ronaldo wants to show his abs off for the you know five hundredth time to to a crowd and then he can't. <laughs> And can't do that freely. I've always been puzzled by by that. Why that's a rule? But it's a great point. Oh. Like the the comparison yeah. you raise. Like, is there parity between the two? Like clearly not. And I've I've never <laughs> I've honestly never thought about it before. But now you bring it up, you kind yeah. of go, why is it a rule? I don't know, Ali. If you've got you know your Mister Laws of the game, I don't know if you've got any insight <laughs> behind it. But I have no idea what the answer to that question is, Adriano. Yeah. Originally. <laughs> Yeah, originally that was introduced because of um, uh, sponsorships and all that sort of yeah. stuff where players would take their top off and have sponsors on their undershirt. So yep. that initially was one of the things that happened with that because the initial rule was you couldn't take your top off and show a message underneath. And then players found different ways to sort of get around it. So from, from mem- this is from memory. I'm pretty sure this came in place probably when I started refereeing 13, 14 years ago. And Jake, you probably have done the same. When you have to give a card like that, you just go to the player and go, sorry, look, I got to do it. Yeah. You know, and I hate it too. Know. That's what it is. Players know that if yeah, they, they do know. it, they're yeah. going to get booked, right? So it's an accepted thing. If you do it, you know uh, booking's going to come. I remember when oh, yeah. this is probably, I'm a Portsmouth fan, Adriano, and 10 years ago, yeah. uh, Eunice Kabul was, was playing for us and he scored a 93rd minute when I think it was away at Stoke and we're in a relegation battle and he took his shirt off and he'd forgotten that he'd been yellow carded. Uh, <laughs> oh, and he was just devastated. And like after the game, he goes in the post-match interviews, like, I'm so sorry. I just forgot I was already on a yellow card. I knew doing this would get me oh. a yellow. And so then he was banned for the next game, which was another crucial game. So that sort of epitomizes what you were talking mm. about. Is that fair when it's such a, you know, yeah. the whole city was going crazy when that goal went in and he felt that. Yeah. And then unfortunately, he misses the next game. So I don't know. Interesting one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, you know. I think we all agree we don't like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's strange because like you touched on, it, it's just accepted. 
like as a referee, if you're going, sorry, mate, I have to book you, it's just accepted that no one wants it. So, yeah, I, I don't understand. I do recall that the sponsorship and, and, and yeah. messaging under the shirt being a factor when it did come into play. But, yeah, I don't see any harm done, but particularly when comparing it to some of those crunching challenges where the referee might be a bit lenient early on especially. Surely, if, if taking my shirt off is a yellow, surely that's a straight red then, a crunchy, challenging <laughs> comparison. But obviously, all different all different interpretations of rules. Yeah, well, you raise a really good point there, actually. So on challenges as referees, we are allowed to have an interpretation and sort of, you know, when we look at a challenge, we look at the speed, the force, the point of contact, those are the main considerations. But when someone takes their top off, there's no interpretation. It's black and white. Because then obviously you fall under the politically correctness thing. Like, how do you decide what is offensive or not? Because for some cultures, different messages may be offensive, for others may not. Uh, So it's interesting how that doesn't have interpretation, but a crunching tackle, it may. You know, when you say the orange yellow, the the orange card, yeah, and all that. Yeah, there could be there could be empathy, right? If it is a situation like with Portsmouth, where it's a ninety third minute and he's doing it just out of pure happiness, could a referee go or be allowed to turn a blind eye? But if he does it, a player, you know, they're four nil up and does it, takes his shirt off and throws it into the crowd to waste time. Well, that that's a different story, right? They're different situations. Yeah. So yeah. maybe if the if the IFAB listen to this podcast, they can they can take it on a ref coach collab with uh, Adriano, and, and we, we found the future of the laws of the game. <laughs> Think about the the law the law that we had for a couple of years about cautioning goalkeepers when they left the goal line on penalties. Yeah, now it's become a warning mm. at the first uh, mistake. You give a warning, and then you give a yellow card. That showed empathy over goalkeepers and allowed them to make mistakes. There could potentially be something where you could have warnings. Uh, you could have mm. maybe if David Ellery, which is the, the big chief at uh, IFAB, is listening. You know, that could be something to do to let let these guys take the tops off. <laughs> <laughs> we all, it's all part of the game, you know. No harm done, I say. Hey, listeners! Don't forget that the best way to be involved with the Ref Coach community is in the Ref Coach Facebook group. Search Ref Coach on Facebook for our group. A thing that we always talk about with Ref Coach is bridging this gap between referees and the rest of the world. Uh, for me, it's very interesting to, to see what is your feeling, what is your opinion on uh, potentially having more clarity, transparency, more communication from the refereeing authorities after a game, perhaps explaining the decision uh, to the public. How do you think would that be received? Uh, how do you think that would work? Is that something you would like to see? Yes, I I think it'd be fascinating. Obviously, working in the space, I've ne- I can tell you, I've never interviewed a referee after any game of football. I think that would be a fascinating discussion in general. Aside from whether or not there was a really topical moment or, or point of the match they needed to explain, just just in general to get their thoughts. From an official's perspective, I think it would provide a lot of insight uh, to, to to fans, to people to understand, and and also, I guess, appreciate the difficulty of doing this. It's it's the classic thing of fans at home who are, who are in the in the stadium or sitting on the couch at home watching on. They're just watching, enjoying, consuming, but without really thinking. If a player misses an easy shot at goal, they're the first ones to say, "Oh, how did he miss that? How did she miss that?" But they're not really thinking about the technical, tactical, mental, physical side that goes into it. Exactly the same from officiating, if not even more tough to actually comprehend and understand and appreciate. I think I think it would be a fascinating. I understand why they don't. I certainly understand why 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 they don't. But I think it would be fascinating. I I've certainly been. I've heard Pierluigi Colina speak on a number of occasions. Obviously. Well, respect arguably greatest ever referee, certainly one of, and uh, a face of officials, and and has a position at the moment at FIFA, or is is always is always working in a very significant capacity in, in officiating capacity now post career, and just hearing him talk about that side of the game, you immediately understand and and appreciate 
what goes into into the job and I, I think even even as broadcasters in the industry i think there is a massive level of disconnect there by not having those open lines of communication and it's not that those discussions would change decisions if there were some controversial decisions but it certainly would provide more context which i think could be better, more beneficial for the relationship between football fans media and and officials going forward just to provide that understanding but would that work though would that be something that officials would be open to doing because if the answer was yes i think that's something that maybe we should raise to the higher powers again <laughs> it's a good question right because you don't football's not about us and i genuinely mean that you know you hear so many yeah. times people go oh, referees are just making it about themselves but genuinely refs mm-hmm. never want to be in the spotlight so it's an interesting question yeah. and every referee would be different but certainly in, in the you know in the Premier League, I've never heard a Premier League referee speak on TV, and there's obviously a, mm. there's obviously a decision taken to do that. But yeah, just just to help tell the story, humanise them. Yeah, and fans still exactly. might not agree, and the, you know what, the ref might come on TV and go, "Hey, I've seen it, and I made a mistake, unfortunately." Yeah. Um, just like the play, just like players do, just like just like coaches do, yeah. you and and you're right. It's the humanising. It's ma- it's bringing them back down to earth. They're not just the figures you're watching running around on the pitch. And even though the officials, I, I'd certainly take the point on board that the officials aren't there to be in the spotlight. They didn't sign up to be in the spotlight. You just they're doing the job and they're just doing it as best as they can. But I think appreciating the fact they're doing it as best as they can would just help that respect, especially at this point in time as well, where I, I think they're look, I think the game is evolving in in a number of ways, on and off the pitch. And and I think that it doesn't have to mean that a that an official has to do a press conference at the end of every match, but mm. maybe the the official of the officials, the the, the boss of the referees or, or someone an appearance from time to time on a program or at a big match or something, I think it would add plenty. I really feel that it could add plenty to that, to, to the growth in rapport between officials and the rest of the football community. That's definitely something I agree with. I don't know if I can see every single official mm-hmm. being able to talk to the media after a game or even like at the end of the week. It doesn't need to be every no, single exactly. One. Exactly. Because all the referees I met, there's also all different personalities. And as you know much better than us, Adriano, it's not easy to go on television and talk no. about what happened. You need to. You need the training, and not a lot of people are able to do that. It's a skill, and you can't ask all referees to have that skill. Some are just it's not their personality. But having that media represented, they could go at the end of the weekend, maybe once a week, or every two weeks, whatever it is, and say, "Well, this is what we're doing. This is what we're seeing. Uh, this is what our understanding is uh, of uh, the current trends in the decisions." And yeah, we got that wrong. That's what it is. We got the right, so good on us. I guess maybe some of the worries are, I don't know if you ever watched the video with Howard Webb and Robbie Savage. I don't remember which program it was, Jack. There was a famous video on YouTube. It's on YouTube, yeah. It's all yeah, like so Howard Webb talks about why a reckless tackle in the first minute may not be a yellow card, but it may be a yellow card in the 50th minute. And I think maybe that's always been a bit of the, the fear because in that conversation, Robbie Savage just goes fully savage was his and like just really gets in Webb's face and Webb it, we had the luck of having him on the podcast and it's very well spoken can really control himself mm-hmm. so he did a great job in that situation but it's not easy to be challenged like that uh, especially by an ex-player that maybe doesn't want to listen necessarily mm. I, I would I would again from my professional media standpoint I I would not Throw him, even if he is very well spoken, very well educated, clearly, and certainly the person to be the voice for that group of officials. I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage. If we were to go down the path of officials speaking to the media, I wouldn't encourage that officials speak to a Robbie Savage yeah. <laughs> on a regular on a regular uh, time. I think it's important because the, the the objective, the intention with that would be to give officials a voice to to I guess strengthen that connection as we touched on and the way to do that is not by slamming what they're saying it's to learn understand and accept what they're saying 
and as a that's on the job of the of the 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 moderator the the, the interviewer it's it's it would be my job to make the environment as comfortable as possible for them to share openly what what they're dealing with what they're battling with what they're looking to improve in where they got it right where they got it wrong and and so yeah i can understand how whatever that specific program was obviously they're looking for some headlines there they have a nice yeah. if it's something which we still know to this day they, they did their job they they got they got their message out there they got a few likes and clicks and, and that's <laughs> what a lot of media is is today it's about numbers it's views it's hits but i think there's something to be said there about the authentic relations that could be built for officials and the wider football community and i think the right setting would need to be provided particularly for officials that aren't well media trained because as you correctly said ali it's not it is not easy to jump in front of a camera especially after a match i, I wouldn't think that would be the yeah. outcome because very easily after a match you can say the wrong thing and yeah. then that makes the bad situation 100 times worse and you don't want that mm. but in a, in a nice relaxed cool calm environment where someone can be made to feel comfortable at home and discuss openly that is ideally where if this was ever to to come about this is where ideally i'd see that going down that path and and providing the best outcome for all yeah spot on and look i think if we'll ever get to the point there's always going to be a situation of referees being slammed you know you go on twitter and there's so many keyboard warriors that just smash anyone doesn't matter whether you're a referee a journalist a player uh anything so that's always going to happen i think i all i think is that if we don't start doing that it's never going to improve so it's just about started doing it get the right people out and they'll just i think it'll make the experience for better for everyone for referees and you know even for supporters to understand better what goes on behind the scenes so Adriano, we've had a fantastic evening chatting with you getting your insights um i've sat here for the last hour and been incredibly jealous of, of your day-to-day life that is uh, that is for sure ale i know i know you are too um but it's been fantastic getting your insight into the euros hearing your views opinions on the refereeing obviously there were some great chats about var and then finally i think you know we we found what should be the next new change to the laws of the game to, to let the players celebrate taking their shirts off. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see if, uh, we'll see if that, that takes off. But hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we have and, and maybe got something out of it um, that'll help you in your world just to understand refereeing, even if it's 1% better. Uh, no doubt, guys. I absolutely loved it, enjoyed it a lot. I, I, think, I think learning and speaking with you your interpretations and and the way that, that you approach things and and how it is from from that side of the game is why as we just discussed why referees need to have that that voice because i think that if, if broadcasters media in general fans can understand where it's coming from where decisions are being made i think it helps everyone and and yes while while before every international tournament before every tournament i cover i'm sent the amended laws of the game, the rule book and whatnot. Fans don't have access yeah. to that. And, and nor would they sit through and read that stuff. So I think this certainly adds adds a lot. Love what you guys are doing. Has been a very enjoyable. Keep up the great work and maybe we do it again very soon. Oh, sounds good. Thanks very much for your time, Adriano. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guys.